has reached epidemic proportions in America. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains. Dr. Paul Christo is one of America's leading experts on relieving pain. He's board-certified, Harvard-trained, and a pain medicine specialist at Johns Hopkins. U.S. News and World Report ranks him as a top doctor and among the top 1% in the nation for pain management. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain, but there's hope and there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who found relief. We share cutting-edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain. Welcome to the show. I'm glad you're with us. Low back pain affects between 70 to 80% of the adult population and is a major cause of disability worldwide. Patients with chronic low back pain often experience a reduced quality of life, sleep problems, anxiety, and depression. The muscles, joints, discs, and nerves can all contribute to the pain, but most often the source is mechanical, that is, musculoskeletal. The multifidus muscles are important stabilizers of the lumbar spine. Chronic low back pain that's mechanical can lead to degeneration of these muscles, but we now have a neurostimulator designed to activate the multifidus muscles and control pain. It's called Reactivate, and we'll learn all about it on today's show. John McFarland, our first guest, has suffered from low back pain since pole vaulting during high school, and that was over 50 years ago. Today, he can bike 100 miles a week at age 75 and return to an active life thanks to the Reactivate Neurostimulator. Our second guest is Dr. Chris Gilligan. He's an associate professor of anesthesia at Harvard Medical School and chief of the Division of Pain Medicine at Brigham and Women's Hospital. Dr. Gilligan will share his expertise with this innovative form of restorative neurostimulation for chronic low back pain. Aches and Gains is supported by Averitas Pharma, Daiichi Sankyo, Mainstay Medical, and Heron Therapeutics. John McFarland has suffered from chronic low back pain for over 50 years. Reactivate has restored a life that he thought was gone. John, welcome back to Aches and Gains. Thank you. Last time we talked about the extent of your low back pain, how it impaired your quality of life, and how passionate you were to maintain an active lifestyle. At this point, the neurostimulator is implanted. When you activate it, how much of your back contracts? Maybe two or three inches. And tell us about how much relief you get and what kind of improvement in your life has the stimulator provided? A whole bunch. <laughs> uh, it, it, it doesn't limit what I want to do. Swimming before would be a problem. Now it might ache a little bit, but I could still swim. When I'd bike, it would be really sore when I was done biking. Now I bike about 100 miles a week. And it doesn't bother me at all. Well, that's terrific. I mean, the functional improvement seems significant. How significant is the pain relief? Maybe uh, 75, 80%. I mean, it doesn't get debilitating anymore. When it would get bad, uh, I couldn't do anything for a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. I still get a sore back occasionally, but nothing like before. I'm glad to hear that. What about medications for pain? Are you still taking any? No. Uh, no, I don't need them. What about your emotional state? Has that changed? Well, I'm a lot happier when I can be active. Mm -hmm. That was one of the worst things for my psyche, I think, was yeah. the fact that I couldn't do stuff. And now it's not limiting what I can do, so I'm pretty happy about that. Absolutely. 
Has your swimming improved? I can swim for 45 minutes without stopping, and it's not a problem. Before, 15, maybe 20 minutes, and it would just be aching. That's impressive. John, did you have any complications related to the surgery? Have the leads migrated? Any problems with the battery? No. Do you experience the same degree of relief today that you had eight months ago when it was first implanted? Yes. It's not like a TENS unit that tends to diminish the effect. Mm -hmm. I still run it twice a day. It seems like rather quickly I started getting relief from it, and it's not like that has diminished. Okay. Now, the recommended use is two times a day for 30 minutes each. Do you use this when you're lying down, when you're on your belly? What body position are you in? They've told me that you don't want to be standing when you're using it. Mm -hmm. Usually I'll watch TV while while I'm running it uh, and I just lay on my side. And when do you turn it on? Usually I'll run it uh, later in the morning and uh, later in the afternoon. Now, when did you start experiencing relief with the Reactivate Neurostimulator? It's not like, gee, my back really hurts now. I'll turn it on up two minutes into it and it's feeling better. It's it's not like that at all. Okay. The first cycle, uh, it didn't do much. The second cycle didn't do much. But after I was two to three weeks in, I could notice an appreciable difference being able to bend or twist or golf or not. I see. So there's some accumulation of effect. Uh, John, have you ever missed stimulation periods? I I probably have missed one or two sessions over the last eight months, but I'm pretty religious about using it. Maybe it's because I'm afraid things will get bad if I don't. That's right. Now, when you missed those sessions, did your pain worsen? Uh, No. And in terms of using it more than twice a day, the device records usage and prevents more than 60 minutes of stimulation in a 24-hour period. John, do you wish that Reactivate had been offered to you earlier? It would have been nice if 40 years ago (laughs) this device was around. Uh, It would have been really enjoyed back then. I can only imagine. How aware are you that you have an implanted neurostimulator? Like I mentioned, I don't have a lot of body fat. If I'm sitting or laying or whatever, I I really can't notice it until I actually put my hand back there and feel it. And what you're feeling is the battery, which is like the pacemaker battery that's implanted underneath the skin. Uh, John, is there anything you don't like about this therapy? Um... No, not really. Okay. Now, I'm assuming that the insurance company covered most of the cost of this. Did you have to pay anything out of pocket? It depends on your insurance and all, but when I went to have it installed, they said your copay is Mm $2,200. To tell you the truth, it's been worth every penny of it. I'm glad you feel that way. Now, what would you say to those who are considering this type of treatment, Reactivate, but are afraid because it's an implantable device? Uh, Their pain hasn't got bad enough yet. (laughs) When you can't do what you want to do, and uh, the pain just keeps getting worse, Mm -hmm. and nothing is helping, uh, it's a pretty easy decision. Yes, I bet it is. You know, in this study that was done on this device, uh, some patients stop using it or minimize use because they experienced remission. Another group used the stimulation, well, just occasionally to manage flare-ups. And a third group used the device regularly, even though they were in remission. In your case, if your pain resolved completely 
and you didn't need the reactivate device anymore, would you have it removed? I don't know. I, I don't think so. You know, it, it doesn't bother me leaving it in. So I'd probably keep it. And finally, what do you feel that everybody should know about Reactivate? It can return your life. If people are pretty active, whether they be my age or 35 years old, I think they should do just about anything to be able to carry on their life the way they would like. Mm -hmm. And that means that they should be open to learning about other potentially resolving medications or procedures that would help them out. Yeah, you know, I agree wholeheartedly. And thank you for giving us a firsthand account of Reactivate. Well, it's great talking to you. And you as well. Don't go away. Up next is Dr. Chris Gilligan chief of the Division of Pain Medicine at Brigham and Women's Hospital. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Adveritas Pharma, leading the U.S. in non-opioid pain management for certain pain conditions, while continuously seeking to deliver innovations for patients to improve patient outcomes. Visit us at A-V-E-R-I-T-A-S Pharma.com, an educational grant from Daiichi Sankyo. For cutting-edge treatments and resources, follow Dr. Paul Christo on Twitter at Dr. Paul Christo and like Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo on Facebook. Dr. Chris Gilligan was pivotal in conducting the studies on the Reactivate Restorative Neurostimulation Device that led to its FDA approval. Dr. Gilligan, welcome back to Aches and Gains. Thanks for having me. On part one of the show, we talked about what kind of pain in the low back patients need to have in order to be candidates for Reactivate. We also mentioned that the Reactivate Neurostimulation System targets the multifidus muscles in the low back in order to achieve pain control. And then finally, we talked about the importance of trialing other therapies before Reactivate is offered. Now, Chris, before we implant Reactivate, would you perform medial branch nerve blocks in order to determine if patients get relief? No, because that doesn't help us in terms of selecting the patients either who will get a good outcome from this therapy or, or for that matter, patients who, who uh, would be less likely to have a good outcome and, and shouldn't be considered for this therapy. Now, in the clinical study on Reactivate that you were the first author on, actually, uh, patients were not allowed to have had a radiofrequency ablation at the level of T8 or below within a year of Reactivate implantation. Is that still true? In clinical practice, we're recommending waiting three months. Mm-hmm. In the case of the trial, you're exactly right, of course, that we recommended a one-year interval. But that was largely about clinical trial design. Um, interestingly, out the 25 patients in the Reactivate B trial who had undergone previous radiofrequency ablations mm-hmm. had outcomes that were equally as good as the remainder of the 204 patients who had not had a prior Uh, radiofrequency ablation. And in fact, our previous guest, John, reported that he had several radiofrequency ablations of his lumbar spine, and indeed today seems to be doing quite well with Reactivate. John also reported that he had a previous lumbar spine surgery. I think it was a lumbar laminectomy. Yet I noticed that you excluded those patients in your study. You're exactly right that in the trial, any prior lumbar spine surgery or any current indication for lumbar spine surgery was an exclusion criteria. Mm -hmm. We really wanted to keep for the trial a very simple uh, population of folks who just had axial nociceptive low back pain, had not had a surgery, et cetera. So when we talk about the evidence for the therapy, by and large, we're talking about non-surgical patients. Okay. Now, 
I do have a hypothesis that I think this could work very, very well for the patient who had a laminectomy at one level, got typically got relief of their leg pain, but this says, uh, you know, for years since that time, I've had uh, aching, no susceptible low back pain. You and I both see many of those patients. My hypothesis is that that therapy, this therapy would work well for that patient population. Mm-hmm. We don't have evidence about that. I think that's more a hypothesis that remains to be tested. Yes, it does. Before implanting Reactivate, patients need an MRI of their low back, and we're looking for evidence of multifidus muscle atrophy and weakness. Tell us more about that. The first is we're looking to make sure that they don't have a current indication for surgery. So they don't have a high-grade stenosis. If they have a spondylolisthesis, we evaluate it with standing and perhaps flexion extension x-rays to make sure it's not a mobile, unstable spondylolisthesis. The other thing that we're looking for is to see, do we see fatty infiltration and atrophy of the lumbar multifidus muscle? Because when we talk about this therapy, we're talking about a therapy for patients with refractory, mechanical or nociceptive chronic low back pain that's disabling, and evidence of multifidus dysfunction. Speaking of the multifidus muscle, how difficult is it to identify dysfunction on MRI? Up until now, there hasn't been much reason for clinicians, uh, including radiologists, to be looking at the multifidus in great detail when they were looking at lumbar uh, spine MRIs. In many cases, we'll put into our uh, requisition for the MRI, please comment on the multifidus muscle. Or if we work closely with a, a small group of radiologists, we'll just tell them f- from now going forward, it will be helpful to us if you'll comment on what you see in the multifidus. And they're, they're always happy to, to help us with that. Now, Chris, we need either to see multifidus muscle atrophy on MRI or have a positive clinical exam finding called the prone instability test, right? You're correct that the FDA labeling is one or the other, imaging findings or physical exam findings. In clinical practice, we, our, our preference, frankly, is to see both. Mm-hmm. Both findings from physical exam tests, the prone instability test that you referenced, or an alternative test, the multifidus lift test. Uh, in some cases, we'll use uh, aberrant movements when the patient reaches over to try to touch their toes and comes back up. So some physical exam findings suggestive of multifidus dysfunction and MRI findings. Okay. Spinal cord stimulators require trials or test drives before we implant them. Now, that's unlike this reactivate neurostimulation system. Why is it different? Because as a restorative therapy, the effects build up over time. It's not covering up the pain. It's not stimulating a sensory nerve to block the pain. Here, we're looking at one month, one and a half months, two months, has the stimulation restored the function of your multifidus? And is your pain improving? Is your function improving? Mm-hmm. So there really isn't something that would make sense clinically in terms of doing a trial for the time period that one can safely do a trial in terms of infection risk, namely, you know, something on the order of one week. Yeah, well, that makes sense. There's a feeling that we don't offer spinal cord stimulation early enough. Some studies, in fact, have shown that the longer wait times for implantation reduce the therapeutic benefit of the treatment. I wonder whether we should offer Reactivate earlier in the course of chronic low back pain. That's an interesting question. I can tell you there's a, a neurosurgeon in, in Germany who's implanted close to 100 of these. Marco Amann is his name, and he's gotten excellent outcomes. In fact, his clinical outcomes in real-world use mm-hmm. are really almost equally as excellent as the results that we got in the Reactivate B trial. Wow. He says we should be using this relatively early yeah. 
don't wait for that process to go on and on. I think he makes some good points. Please give us an overview of how this device is implanted. We go with the patient to the operating room. We have anesthesia that's either just monitored sedation, MAC anesthesia as we call it, or general anesthesia. We have an x-ray machine that helps us to see the spine, see the levels of the spine. We make a small incision, uh, you know, one or two centimeters, and we use that to place two thin leads, uh, little electric wires uh, similar to the leads that we use uh, for spinal cord stimulators or, for that matter, that the cardiologists use for pacemakers. Mm -hmm. We place those two leads under x-ray guidance using a needle from the skin through that small incision. Once they're in place... We make sure that when we stimulate the leads, we feel a strong contraction of the multifidus muscle for the entire length of the lumbar spine down to the sacrum. And at that point, we then place an implanted pulse generator, which is very, very similar to a pacemaker. Everything's under the skin. We close the two incisions, the incision where the generator is and the incision where those leads are. Typically, it's about a 45-minute surgery. Patients do go home uh, that same day, by the way. Excellent overview. I believe the battery is designed to last five years. In practice, what we're seeing is that it is lasting longer. Mm -hmm. And the reasons for that are fairly straightforward. Patients are only using it 30 minutes twice a day, and the device won't let them use it for more than 60 minutes in a 24-hour period. And the frequency that the generator is operating at is 20 hertz, which is a relatively low frequency and puts a relatively low demand on the battery. So we have a patient in Australia who uses the device religiously 30 minutes twice a day, and she's crossed the eight-year mark. She's doing great and no signs of uh, battery depletion. The company guarantees five years, but in clinical practice, we're seeing somewhat longer. And patients have an activator as well. That's right. The patients turn on the stimulation with a handheld remote. When patients turn on the stimulation and the multifidus muscles contract, aren't the muscles just located in the area where the leads are placed? That's right. When we were designing the trial, we actually worked with patients who were coming into clinic for radiofrequency ablation procedures at different levels, and we tested at all of the different levels of the lumbar spine how much contraction did we get from stimulating the L1 medial branch nerve, the L2 medial branch nerve, et cetera, all the way down to the lumbar spine. And what we found is that when you stimulate the L2 medial branch nerve, in almost all cases, you get contraction of the multifidus muscle from L1 all the way down to S1. Okay. I don't think many of us would have realized that. Patients, though, have to wait about, what, two weeks or so before using the device once it's implanted. We have them wait for 14 days. So we want the device to have a chance to scar into place a little bit so that the leads won't migrate. You, you place the leads down a sheath, and when you pull the sheath back, tines deploy on either side mm-hmm. of muscles in the back called intertransversary muscles, and right. they hold the leads in place. Uh, of the 204 patients in the Reactivate B trial through four years, we haven't seen any lead migration. Wow, that's very impressive. Here's the break. Straight ahead, we'll find out when patients begin noticing relief after implantation. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Mainstay Medical, the only provider of the unique Reactivate Restorative Neurostimulation. Reactivate is designed to restore control, function, and stability in your lower back. Ask your physician about Reactivate for chronic low back pain and reactivate your life. Visit www.lowbackpainrecovery.com to learn more. Heron Therapeutics, whose mission is to improve the lives of patients by developing best-in-class medicines that address unmet medical needs. They aim to advance the standard of care for patients through therapies that bring together science and technologies with well-known pharmacology to deliver medicines that matter. Welcome back. 
Our previous guest John mentioned that he began experiencing pain relief soon after he activated the device. Uh, Chris, in your experience, when do patients typically begin to notice relief? On the early side would be at the one month mark, commonly one and a half to two months. Mm -hmm. The longer they use it typically, the more relief they see. So through four years of uh, study outcomes, we're seeing that the therapy is durable and that for the most part, the longer we treat the patients, the better they're doing. Okay, so there's an accrual of benefit. Now, during this several-year study, some patients had the device removed because of inadequate relief. Others, though, in later years, had the device removed because their pain completely resolved. Would you recommend that patients keep the system in, though, in case their pain recurs? We had between months 24 and 36, and then actually now between months 36 and 48, we did have some patients who said, with using the device regularly, I have had complete resolution of my back pain. Essentially, Mm -hmm. I'm cured. When they said, I feel like I'm cured, so I want to get it out, we did say to them, please give it some time, three months, four months, et cetera, to make sure the last thing we want to do is take this out and then a month later to be saying, uh, the back pain has returned, you know, should we go, God forbid, you know, be be Mm re-implanting. Our general recommendation would be keep it in and continue to use it. And patients will, over time, not infrequently, titrate. So they may say, well, instead of using it 30 minutes twice a day, I'm doing great using it 30 minutes once a day. Okay, fair enough. If they've figured out a dosing schedule that is getting them a great result, there's nothing wrong with that at all. No, there isn't. What sort of complications or side effects did you see in the trial? We had a 3% infection rate in the trial. And typically, if there's an infection, you have to take the system out. With, mm-hmm. you know, perhaps there are rare exceptions to that. Right. We did have some patients who complained of pain at the site of the generator. That was about uh, 8% of patients. And we had some patients who had lead fractures. And in some cases, we were able to just program around those. But in other cases, we did have to do a surgery to put in a new lead. Uh, Chris, are there any activities that you recommend that patients don't participate in after implantation with Reactivate? The main one I would say is involved combat sports, aggressive wrestling or judo or things like that that would really involve the chance that somebody else is going to grapple with you and throw you to the ground. <laughs> right. Um, we have had patients, though, short of that, involved in very vigorous activities, advanced horseback riding, mm-hmm. very advanced mountain biking, etc. And those have been fine. We would put golf in that same uh, category. Right. And John, our previous guest, indicated that he's able to swim 45 minutes and can bike 100 miles a week. How is insurance coverage for Reactivate? Medicare covers this device in almost all regions of the the country. And then uh, commercial insurers, we're going through that process that you essentially in the U.S. always have to go through with a new technology Mm -hmm. where we're meeting one by one with the different payers, uh, but we're just going and having meetings with the different insurance companies around the country, sharing the data with them, explaining the impact that this has on patients and making the case that uh, we'd like to see the appropriate patients have access to the therapy. Mm -hmm. I think it's crucial that patients in pain have access to effective therapies. And before we close, Chris, what's the future of neurostimulation? One, I think it's high quality, rigorous clinical trials that have sham controls and that are reported in a disciplined, transparent, robust way. Mm -hmm. I think there will be a shift towards more and more therapies that are restorative or disease modifying instead of just palliative and symptomatic. And there will always be a role for palliative and symptomatic therapies. And for certain well-selected patients, those are great therapies. But I think there will be a move towards more therapies that fix the problem rather than covering up the problem. Mm -hmm. And the last I would say is, I think there will be a move towards 
better understanding of mechanisms of action so that as opposed to clinical trials that will just report clinical outcomes, but also that will include more information about the mechanism of action or the science underlying the therapy. And I think cardiology, is a, again, is a good example. It is. Dr. Gilligan, what an outstanding show. Thank you. Paul, thanks so much for having me. It was really a, a fun conversation, and I appreciate it. Thanks, Chris, and I did too. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Ty Ford. Dr. Paul Christo is the executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Games with Dr. Paul Christo.